The following audio is from Fellowship Church in Nederland, Texas. Our mission, to love God, love others, and make disciples. For more information about fellowship, visit fellowshiptx.org. Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. All right, so last week we talked about the difference between joy and happiness. There's obviously a big difference. Uh, we said that happiness is an empty pursuit and chasing happiness is vanity. When we pursue happiness in our life, we give ourselves to the pursuit of happiness. We waste our lives because it's an endless pursuit. You never get it. You never hold on to it. Uh, that's why Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes 1 verse 14 says, I've seen all the things that are done under the sun and have found everything, everything to be futile, a pursuit of the wind. Chasing happiness in the things of this world is like chasing the wind. You're never going to catch it. You can pursue happiness every day of your life, and you may catch it for a moment, but immediately it's fleeting and it's gone, and it's this continual pursuit of our lives. That's why so many people are just miserable. But joy, on the other hand, is a more, it's more substantial than that. It's a product of our salvation. We said last week that joy is a divine product of the Holy Spirit in the heart of every believer. Our joy is something the Holy Spirit places inside of us. It's a, it's a product of the fact that we are truly saved, that the Spirit of the living God lives in us. He dwells in us and he produces things inside of us. One of those things is joy. And we talked about the fact that as we're walking through Philippians, that, that Philippians is known as the book of joy. It's, it's this, this book where we can see what true joy really looks like, that people can have joy in the midst of very unfortunate circumstances. But here is the reality. Sometimes that joy can be challenged. Even as believers, our joy can be challenged. When bad things in life happen unexpectedly, it can throw us off balance. And when we respond to those things with sin and doubt, it can affect our joy. When you respond to the negative circumstances in life with sin and doubt, it can and it will affect your joy. You guys remember the old cartoons growing up? Uh, there's a, a whole generation now that's missed out on good cartoons. You know, when you're a kid and you watch Bugs Bunny, and that's the good stuff, right? And, and remember, there was always the little evil Bugs Bunny on one side and the good Bugs Bunny on the other side with the, you know, the little angelic Bugs Bunny, and, and both were talking and, and trying to convince uh, Bugs Bunny to do something. Uh, there's always a good angel and a bad angel. Listen this morning, I'm not advocating that we get our theology from Bugs Bunny cartoons. But... There is this conflict deep in our hearts between the spirit of the living God and our own flesh. Even though we're believers, even though we've surrendered our lives to Christ, even though we've been made into new creations, there's still this flesh inside of us that's warring against God's spirit inside of us. There's this continual draw towards sin. And when bad stuff happens, the flesh wants to doubt God's love and provision and take control while there's this spirit, the Holy Spirit lives in us and is leading us towards faith and righteousness. And if we give into the flesh and sin, that sin corrupts our relationship with the Father who is the source of our joy. And I think that if we're honest this morning, we're all guilty of this. I think if we're honest this morning, we're all guilty of this. We're all guilty of giving into the flesh. When bad stuff happens and it catches us off guard, we don't expect something negative to happen in our life. When that happens, it catches us off guard and it rattles our faith. It rattles our solid foundation that we believe that we have. We come on Sundays and we sing praise forever to the King of Kings. 
But when uncertainty in life strikes, when our faith is challenged, we often give in to our flesh. An example of what this looks like is uh, when I ride in the car with my dad, I'm at peace. I trust him wholly with driving. He's driven professionally for years as a kid. I never feared. Uh, And so even today, if he drives, he's probably one of the only people that I could fall asleep in a car with. Let's contrast that with riding with Becca. (laughs) Becca would say I'm a bad driver, and a lot of people would say I'm a bad driver. That's fine. But Becca's not a good driver either. Um, When she drives, she likes to get really close to the curb, and the whole time she's driving... I'm constantly questioning her ability to control the vehicle, right? I'm like, hey, you're going you're gonna to hit the rim on the side. There's a curb here. Do you, see, do you see the curb? Do you see the curb? What if we just pull over and let me drive? What if we just pull over? I can drive. There's this constant banner back and forth. It, it stresses me out. So most of the time I drive. Very rarely does she drive because it, it very much stresses me out. The whole time she's in control, I feel like I want to be in control because here's the truth. I don't trust her driving. This is just the fact. I don't trust her driving abilities. And I I don't trust very many people's driving abilities, but I especially don't trust her driving abilities. So sometimes we're like that with God, right? We we, we don't, we we say that we trust God, but but when bad stuff happens, when, when life starts getting close to that curb, we start to be, hold on, let me, what if I take control, God? What, what, what if you just move and let me, I think I can handle this better in this moment. And we, we do that. And that's sin. That's distrust. So what's the answer here? How can we remain steadfast in our faith and trust, therefore, remaining steadfast in the joy of our salvation? I think Paul, in our text this morning that we're going to look at, he gives us a great example to go by. Paul's, man, he's, he's like a superhero in the faith. His, his attitude and focus are unbelievable. And as we read this morning, you'll see what I'm talking about. His, his attitude and his, his faith, are, they're, they're unbelievable. It's, it's, it's really, it's radical. But here's what I want to, there's, there's a danger in, in having this high view of Paul and, and viewing this as like, man, that's radical and that's crazy and that's unbelievable that someone could live that way. Here, here's the danger. It, it, it it, it, there's just something inside of us that says, well, I can't do that. I can't be Paul. I can't do that. But listen to me this morning. Don't think that way. Because the same stuff that Paul had, you have. Paul had the Holy Spirit. He had a relationship with the Father. You have the Holy Spirit. You have a relationship with the Father. So as we read this, don't, don't allow something in your mind to think, well, that's Paul. I can't do that. Because very much so, you can do this. You can live this life. You can have this radical focus in, in, in thought life. And so as we go through it, don't, don't allow yourself to be tempted to think, well, that's Paul. I can't be that. No, you can be that in the power of the Holy Spirit. So let's read together. Philippians 1, verse 12. Here's what it says. He says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what happened to me has actually advanced the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is because I am in Christ. Most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord from my imprisonment and dare even more to speak the word fearlessly. To be sure, some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. These Preach out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The others proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely thinking that they will cause me trouble in my imprisonment. What does it matter? Only that in every way, 
whether from false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, because I know that this will lead to my salvation through your prayers and help from the Spirit of Jesus Christ. My eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but that now, as always, with all courage, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Now, as you read that, that's an unbelievable, unbelievable perspective, right? An unbelievable perspective. And we're going to take a look this morning. From this text, we're going to get two lessons and two challenges. So if you're taking notes, that's the structure this morning. Two lessons and two challenges uh, as we move along. So lesson one is this. Every situation can be an opportunity to proclaim the gospel. Every situation can be an opportunity to proclaim the gospel. Look what he says. He says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel. What's happened to Paul? Not good stuff. He's, he's under arrest, right? He's, he's under house arrest at this point. His circumstances are not good. He has a personal guard that's chained, chained to him at all times. There's no privacy. Paul goes to the bathroom, the guard goes to the bathroom, right? There's there's all day, Paul is chained to someone, and, and, and this is a very uncomfortable circumstance, unfairly as well, right? Keep in mind, all of this is unjust. Paul has done nothing wrong. He's done nothing wrong but preached the gospel. The Jewish leaders have raised a case against him that has no merit or substance. Paul is innocent, yet he endures the consequences of being guilty. Can you... Can you Relate to this for a moment. Like, let's put ourselves in Paul's shoes and think of how you would respond, right? If you're innocent, yet you're being arrested and, and put under house arrest, and day in and day out, you're chained to this guard, think about your, your, your attitude towards that reality, right? This is not fair. This is not right, but he is chained and he endures it. Um, several years ago, uh, Beck and I, I think we were just getting married, uh, we had just got married. We were, we were newlyweds. We had went and eaten in Port Arthur. We were headed back this way, and we were crossing over 365 9th Avenue to 20, 27th Street, right here. I was not speeding. I was driving the speed limit, but I crossed over. The light was green the whole time, so I never slowed down, right? Speed limit's 30. I hit the, the, the intersection at 30. I had just recently, before that, had gotten pulled over, so I was trying to be super careful, and not get pulled over again because that stuff gets expensive, right? And so I'm cruising along. I hit it at 30. I'm looking at my gauge. I hit it at 30. Cop comes up behind me, turns his lights on. And I'm like, what did I do wrong? So he pulls up, and he's like, sir, license registration. And I was like, yes, sir. I was like, what's, what's this all about? And he's like, well, you were speeding. I was like, how fast was I going? He's like, I don't know. I didn't clock you, but the way that your car bounced that intersection, you were obviously speeding. I'm like, I'm driving a piece of junk Toyota Camry that doesn't have any struts left. That's why it bounced like that. Not, not because I was speeding. The whole, I mean, you could, you just driving down the road and the whole thing's like this. You know, so it was, it was an old car. Um, but he was like not having it. He was kind of a jerk and, and was real rude through the whole thing and wrote me a ticket uh, for speeding, even though he had zero evidence that I was speeding other than my car bounced through the intersection. Um, and uh, luckily, later, uh, I had a cop friend who got me out of that. But the, I was innocent. I knew I was innocent. 
because I was paying very close attention at this point in time. You know, sometimes you don't pay attention, you're just cruising, but this is one of those moments where I knew I was right. I knew I was innocent, and my natural impulse was to defend myself. My natural impulse was to get angry, to get bitter. I was upset. I wanted to throw a little pity party for myself. We uh, went and saw some friends after that, and I was just you know, complaining the whole time about this experience. Sometimes being right becomes more important to us than the gospel advancement. We feel this deep-seated need to defend ourselves and set the record straight, right? There's this something inside of us that says, this is wrong, and I need to step in and fight against this. Somebody does us wrong, we think we should retaliate. Somebody cuts you off in traffic, what do you do? You cut them back off in traffic. And sometimes you tell them that they're number one in your heart as you pass them. (laughs) None of us surely would do that, right? You have a rude waiter at a restaurant, you blast them on social media. An umpire makes a bad call at your kid's sports game, you boo him and yell yell at him through the whole thing, right? Now let me clarify, I'm not saying that we should all be pacifists and never defend ourselves and be all rainbow and butterflies and I'm not not advocating for that. I'm also not saying that people shouldn't face consequences for their actions. If someone does something wrong, they should pay the penalty. What I am saying is that as a people who claim to have a higher calling in life, right, we are Christians, we proclaim that we serve the King of kings and Lord of lords, and that our focus is not of this earth, but it is b- bigger than that, it is beyond that. I'm saying that we, as that kind of people, our focus should be different than the rest of the world. In other words, how we view these negative circumstances in life should be different than the rest of the world. Philippians 2, verse 4. Everyone should look not to his own interests, our interests to defend ourselves, Right? but rather to the interests of others. Adopt the same attitude that was in Christ Jesus. Paul totally had the right to be upset, right? He, by our standards, he had the right to be upset. He's imprisoned, he's innocent. He totally had the right to fight against it. He could have argued for his right to freedom, but he doesn't get that way. He's not at all concerned with his circumstances. He sees beyond his circumstances and sees an opportunity to proclaim the gospel. Now, here's some context for you. This guard that's chained to Paul, this this would have been a, a rotation thing. It would have been a different guard every so often. They would have rotated in and out. The imperial guard was a very highly influential group of people. At some point in Rome, these people were like placing kings in there. All right? These are very highly influential people. These are very well-paid people. They get a lifetime uh, payment, and, and they're very highly respected. And so one of these guys is chained to Paul all day long. There's no doubt that there was a rotation. But instead of viewing it as Paul being chained to a guard, Paul viewed it as a guard being chained to Paul. Do you get, this is unbelievable, Right? All of us in this room, I think if we're honest, we would be very upset if we were arrested and had a, had a guard chained to us all day. We would think that it's very unfair. We'd be very upset about it. We would want to fight it. We'd be in the courts fighting it. But what, Paul's not worried about all that. All he's worried about is the fact that there's someone chained to him all day that he can just, that guy can't go, he can't go anywhere. He's got to hear the gospel all day long. 
right? This dude is chained to Paul. Paul, That's how Paul views it. This is an opportunity. Even though the circumstances are very unfortunate, this is an opportunity for Paul to proclaim the gospel. And we know that a lot of people profess Christ. There's, There's fruit from this. That's what Paul does. These guys were there when Paul had guests and he shared the gospel with them. They were there when he wrote his letters. They were there as he lived his life for the glory of God. And they saw who he was. They saw that he was innocent. And they were like, man, something different. This is, this is unbelievable that this guy can have this perspective in the midst of being falsely accused. And the kingdom was advanced because of it. We, as a culture, I think it's largely an American culture thing, We value fairness, right? That's an important thing, and that's good. It's not a bad thing that we value fairness, but it's it's even from a young age, right? My kids, nobody had taught them to say, hey, that's not fair that he gets that and I don't get that, right? They, They even, now, Davis is five, and if I let one of the older kids go play in the neighborhood and he doesn't get to go, well, that's not fair. Why do they get to go and I don't get to go? Right? There's always this argument of fairness. And as we've gotten older, it just continues to be part of who we are. We want to fight for fairness. We want to fight for what's right. But here's the truth. You can either be consumed by your right to fairness, or you can be consumed with the advancement of the kingdom of God. It's all about perspective. You get passed up on that promotion, opportunity. You get diagnosed with cancer, opportunity. You get beaten and arrested for preaching the gospel, opportunity. It's all about perspective. Lesson one is every situation can be an opportunity to proclaim the gospel. Lesson two is this. Every situation can be an opportunity to embolden others to proclaim the gospel. Look what the text says. Most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord from my imprisonment and dare even more speak uh, the word fearlessly. Not only was Paul's faithfulness reaching people outside the church, but it was also emboldening people within the church. Courage is contagious. Courage is contagious. Um, whenever I was a kid, you guys remember back in the day when people weren't so much worried about like if you were going to die or not, there was a high dive at the pool. That was like the good old days back before everybody was a bunch of sissies. We all had high dives and we were all fine, right? I remember though as a kid, like you, you advanced to that level, right? You're not just going to go straight and jump off that high dive. I remember jumping off the regular dive a bunch of times, and to me, that one was kind of high. And so I was doing that, and I remember a friend of mine went up and did the high dive. And he was like, you're a chicken if you don't do it. And I was like, well, I ain't going to let somebody pump me out like that, so all right. And I remember, like, inside, I was absolutely terrified. Like, you know that feeling you get when you're really scared, and you're like, you can't catch your breath very good, and your stomach's kind of hurting a little bit. That's how I felt. I remember, like, it's a very clear memory for me climbing up this, this ladder and, and being petrified that I was going to die. Um, but my friend went before me. I sure as mess wasn't going to not jump, right? If he goes, I'm going because courage is contagious. If, if someone else has the courage to do something, it strengthens you and enables you to do the same thing. That's what's going on here. Paul's faithfulness to the gospel in the face of persecution has emboldened the church. All the other people in the church have seen that Paul's arrested falsely, like he's accused falsely. He's been arrested. He's still preaching the gospel, though. He's still allowed. If you look at Acts, you can see he's still allowed to preach the gospel. People are allowed to come visit him. He preaches the gospel. Even the 
midst of the fact that he's under arrest. Paul continues to preach boldly and his imprisonment has encouraged other people to preach boldly as well. We know that there's a lot of persecution coming from the Jewish leaders trying not to lose grasp of their power and control of the people. But not only that, there was persecution from pagans as well, right? When we studied Acts, we remember chapter 19, verse 23, there's this whole crazy thing going on. I'm going to read it for us. It says, about that time, there was a major disturbance about the way. The way was Christianity. For a person named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, provided a great deal of business for the craftsmen when he had assembled them as well as the workers engaged in this type of business, he said, men, you know that our prosperity is derived from from this business. You see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this man Paul has persuaded and misled a considerable number of people by saying that gods made by by hand are not gods. Not only do we run a risk that our business may be discredited, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be despised and her magnificent come to the verge of ruin, the very one all of Asia and the world worship. When they had heard this, they were filled with rage and began to cry out, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So remember what's going on here is people's lives are being changed because of the gospel. They're no longer living the same life that they were before, pursuing and worshiping these false idols, and it's affected the business of these pagan people. And they are not happy about it. They lose their minds over it because it's affected their bottom line. When Christians start living as if their faith is real and genuine, it threatens the way of life for those in the world. And many will respond with persecution. We've talked before. It should be no surprise that we're going to face persecution as Christians, that our faith is radical, it's different, it will change the world, and people's bottom line will be affected by it, and there will be persecution because of it. Paul faced it, the Philippians faced it, and Paul's saying that his imprisonment is good. Did you catch that? He's saying that his imprisonment is good because in the midst of persecution, it has bestowed courage to other believers. What if we thought this way? What if that was our mindset, that when, when persecution happened, when bad things in life happened, instead of thinking of how that affects us, we got above that, we got beyond that, and started thinking about how that would strengthen other believers, how our response can strengthen other people. This means radically changing the way that we process the circumstances in life. It means that we radically change how we view and, and, and endure unfortunate circumstances in life. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58 says this, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. This text, Paul's writing to the Corinthians about when this corruptible body is clothed in incorruptibility and the mortal body is clothed with immortality. We can have this mindset. We can be steadfast and immovable in the face of horrible circumstances because because our hope is in Christ's victory. We know that this place is temporal. This corruptible body will be clothed with incorruptibility. Our labor is not in vain. There's an eternal reward. And because of that, we don't focus on the here and now. We see beyond the here and now and focus on the kingdom. When we can remain steadfast in the face of trials, we embolden others to do the same. If you can endure persecution, if you can endure the negative experiences in life and and keep your focus above the circumstances, you embolden other people to do exactly the same thing. 
So every situation can be an opportunity to proclaim the gospel and to embolden others to do the same. Now we're going to talk about two challenges. Challenge one is this, in every situation, focus on gospel proclamation. In every situation in life, regardless of good or bad, focus on gospel proclamation. Look what the text says. It goes on, it says, to be sure some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. These preach out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The others proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely thinking that they will cause me trouble in my imprisonment. What does it matter? Only that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Listen, I, I just want to be honest with you this morning. As I was studying for this, as I'm preparing for this sermon this morning, this text wrecked me. Because if I'm honest, there's no hurt like church people hurt. Right? A lot of people have been hurt by church people before. People talking about you behind your back. People using, uh, using your misfortune for their own gain. We see that all the time. And, and I feel like our natural response to that is, is to want to put up our fists and fight back. You strike me, I'm going to strike you back kind of thing. Right? That's, that's our natural defense. But Paul doesn't do that here. This is unbelievable to me. Here's guys that are jealous of Paul's leadership and gifts. They're enjoying the fact that Paul is in prison because it has yielded an opportunity for them to advance themselves. Paul's down. He's the leader. He's the head honcho. He's down in jail. Here's an opportunity for us to raise ourselves. It's our moment to shine. This is their viewpoint. How hurtful would this have been to Paul? That these people who proclaim Christ are rejoicing in the fact that he's imprisoned. I can't imagine the pain that they experienced. But Paul doesn't even really rebuke them. You catch that? He doesn't even really rebuke these people. He had every right to jump on these guys. They're preaching the gospel from sinful motives, but he doesn't do that. Being right wasn't his focus. He was right. But defending himself wasn't his focus. Gospel proclamation was. Let me clarify something. These guys are not preaching false doctrine. If they were, Paul would have dealt with them differently. They're not preaching false doctrine. When people preach false doctrine, there is a responsibility for us to stand against that. That's not what's going on here. This wasn't an assault on the gospel. It was an assault on Paul, and he had the spiritual discernment to be able to see the difference. Paul was 100% focused on gospel proclamation. Now, we live in this time where it's like churches are competing against one another. Have some of you sensed that before? That it's like, Either you're with fellowship or you're with First Baptist or you're with, uh, you know, whatever church, insert church name here, right? It's, it's like this, this sense of competition. Like if you leave us and you go over there, you're with them and you're not with us. And we're enemies now, right? There's, there's like this, this sense of that, this feeling of that. What if we didn't think of things as a competition? What if we rejoiced in the success of others? At First Baptist, neither than seeing souls saved and people's lives changed, I'm not, I'm not going to get upset about that. I'm going to celebrate that. That's a party, man. We're all on the same team. We're all going to the same place. There's not going to be a First Baptist section and a fellowship section in heaven. We're all on the same team, man. That's not how this works. If the, if the gospel is advanced, then we win. Do you get that? If the gospel is advanced here, if it's advanced at first, if it's advanced at Hillcrest, I don't care. I'm naming off Baptist churches because I don't want to get into doctrinal issues. But if, if, 
if, if, if the gospel is advanced, then we win. Do you get that? If the gospel is advanced, then we win. I'm going to rejoice because we're on the same team. If, if one of, a fam- of, of our families leaves to go serve in another body that preaches a true gospel, catch that, that preaches a true gospel, I'm not going to get upset about that. I'm not going to take it personal. I'm going to celebrate because there's one gospel and one body and one people. Paul saw past the ill intent of these preachers and saw the fruit of gospel proclamation. What a perspective. What a perspective. Challenge two. And then we'll wrap this up. It says, uh, challenge two, in every situation, choose to rejoice in Christ's victory. In every situation in life, choose to rejoice in Christ's victory. Look at the text. It says, yes, and I will continue to rejoice because I know that this will lead to my salvation through your prayers and help from the, from the spirit of Jesus Christ. But Paul's not convinced that he's going to live through this. We know that because here in a second he's going to say that. But regardless, whether by death or, or by life, Paul is going to be saved. If, if, if God sees fit for him to be freed from this, this imprisonment, then great, he gets to continue to preach the gospel. If, if not and he dies from it, then great, he gets to go and be free in heaven. That's Paul's perspective. And he goes on, he says, my eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything. Paul's focus was that he would endure to the end. He did not want himself to falter, to get distracted by the things that didn't matter. He wanted to be incredibly focused on the kingdom, building the kingdom. But that now, as always, with all courage, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or by death. This is just a crazy perspective. Like, as I'm reading this, I'm just blown away that someone can have this perspective because I just don't know a lot of people in 2021 in the church. We don't, we don't have this perspective. We get so worried about our circumstances, and Paul doesn't care anything about circumstances. All he cares is that God would be highly honored in his body, whether by life or by death. Paul was eager to exemplify boldness in the face of persecution so that Christ would be highly honored. This is the primary thing I want us to take away this morning. This is what I want us to focus ourselves this morning. If you, if you get nothing else of what I said today, get this that our lives should be lived for the glory of God. That should be our focus. Not in our circumstances, not in our rights being taken away, not in any other thing that can distract us in this world, but that Christ would be glorified in your life. We are programmed to highly value our rights and our freedoms. We're programmed that way. We live in a country that's established on that principle, right? And Don't misread me this morning. I'm thankful for that. I'm very thankful for the fact that we live in a country where there are freedoms and there are rights, and I can stand here without worrying about the government coming in and yanking me off the stage and me having to go to jail for the rest of my life. I'm thankful for that. But at the same time, I think sometimes that we can get incredibly focused on our rights and our freedoms and defending ourselves that we forget it's not about us. Our lives as believers, is, it's, it's not about you. It's not about me. It's about the glory of God. And if, if God is glorified in our persecution, then so be it. That's what Paul's, that's, that's what the lesson, that's the takeaway this morning. You get that? that. That in the midst of persecution, in the midst of trial, Paul 
is still full of joy because God is glorified and he rests in that truth. I don't think our focus should be on our rights and freedoms. It should be on the glory of God. Luke 9, 24. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life because of me will save it. Jesus was trying to help us understand that our focus should, should be elevated, not on ourselves and on what we deserve or what we don't deserve, but on how our lives can bring glory and honor to the name of Jesus. So we wrap up this morning. We ask you, what if we got this? What if we truly got this? What if we truly lived this? What if, what if this was who we are as a people? We stop worrying about ourselves. We elevate our perspective above our circumstances and focus on the glory of God. That's where joy is found. You feel like your joy is waning. It's because you're living in the circumstances and you're allowing circumstances to lead you to sin. But if you can get yourself above the circumstances, get your focus above that, it's going to radically change your life. You can live in the joy of your salvation. Uh, as you guys know, we went to Disney last week and we flew. I am still blown away. I know it's 2021 and it shouldn't blow me away anymore, but I'm still blown away that we live in a period of time where we can fly. Isn't that crazy? Like, if you ever flown, you're in the sky just floating in the air. Like, I don't, I don't understand it. Like, I don't understand how that's even physically possible. But I always love the moment when you're taken off and you get up into the sky and you get above the clouds. Man, it is beautiful above the clouds, right? The, 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 the beauty of God's creation there, the heavens, you get, I mean, it's just unbelievable what God has created. And you're soaring above these clouds and you get to see all the beauty of God's creation. Well, as we're flying back into Houston, there were storms on the ground. Well, some of you who have flown before, you know when you fly, you're above the clouds, you're above the storm. Right? So you're not really affected by the storm until you start to descend back to earth, right? And then it gets a little scary because it gets a little bumpy, right? But it's, it's not raining. It's beautiful and sunny. You go below the clouds and there's a storm, right? What if we could keep our, our, our perspective above the clouds? What do we, we didn't worry about the storms of life and we didn't get so wrapped up in all the stuff that's happening to us, but we could elevate our focus, elevate our, our thought life and, our, and our, our vision in life. What if we could elevate all that above all of the circumstances in life and live our life in the joy of our salvation above here, focused on the glory of God, that regardless of what happens down here, it doesn't matter because God is ultimately glorified in our lives when we choose to submit to him and we live our lives for his glory. So let's get our perspective not down here, but up here. That's where joy is found. This is the challenge this morning. Focus your gaze in life above your circumstances. Focus your gaze in life above your circumstances. That's where joy is. Life will get bad sometimes. It's going to get bad. We all know that. There are bad things that happen in life. That's the result of a fallen world. And the temptation in these moments is to allow your attention and focus to get swallowed up in those circumstances. And listen, I get this is hard. What we're talking about is incredibly hard to have this perspective. Because when bad stuff happens, it catches you off guard, and it's really hard not to just live in that circumstance. The temptation is 
to focus on the circumstances, to buy into the facade that you can control the situation. When the bad stuff happens, there's this temptation to try to grab the wheel. You don't have control anyway. It's an illusion. When our focus is on our circumstances, joy is hard to be found. We have to set our gaze higher. We have to set our gaze above the circumstances in life. When the bad stuff happens, keep your focus on his glory. And there, that's where you find joy. When you're living your life for the glory of God. Not for yourself, not for your dealing with the circumstances in your life, but when you live above those circumstances for the glory of God. Would you stand with your head bowed and your eyes closed? We live in a period of time where it just seems like there's a lot of negativity a lot, of, a lot of people focusing on not only circumstances, but just the negative ones. We don't even want to acknowledge that sometimes there are good circumstances, but people are just living in the midst of circumstances. Every bad thing that happens, it just rattles their cage. And it's not just the pagans of this world. It's, it's people who profess to be Christians. It's, it's evangelicals. It's, it's people who say, I'm a Christ follower. Our, our faith and our joy is constantly rattled by the circumstances in life. It's evidenced in all kinds of arenas in life. You, you can constantly see that, that it, just, it just seems like the church is so weak. That our faith is so weak. We, we, we profess Christ come on Sundays and we sing these songs about who God is, but do we really believe that? Do we really believe that? Do we really believe it, that God is sovereign over, over all things, that he's in control over all things, and that, that even though the bad stuff happens, God is still in control? Do we believe that? Don't get focused on your circumstances. Keep your mind above the clouds. Keep your mind above the storms in life. Yes, bad stuff's going to happen. Yes, you may be persecuted for your faith. But even in the midst of that, even in the midst of those circumstances, God is sitting on his throne, fully in control of this world. Rest in that this morning. Find peace in that this morning. bad stuff happens, focus your life on living for his glory. Your life should be fully dedicated to his glory, not controlling the circumstances in your life, but for his glory. So when bad stuff happens, it's an opportunity. It's not just a bad thing in your life. It's an opportunity to one, profess the gospel, but two, to embolden others to profess the gospel. Live for God's glory because that's where the joy is found living in the circumstances, the joy is it ebbs and flows. You live above that. And you focus your life on the glory of God. That's where, that's where true joy is found. That's why you hear stories of people who are dying from cancer. And yet they have so much joy. That's why you can read 
Paul's testimony of being imprisoned for his faith unjustly and people taking advantage of that. And he doesn't allow that to affect his joy because his focus is on the glory of God. Man, let's, let's, let's live this life. This morning, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, if you've never put your faith and hope in him, we would love an opportunity to talk to you about that. We'd love an opportunity to share with you in Scripture what it means to truly surrender your life to Jesus. There's going to be a couple people that are going to stand here in front. The band's going to sing here in a moment. We'd love for you to come down, grab them by the hand, and say, hey, I want to know what it means to truly have this joy that you're talking about. They'd love an opportunity to talk to you about that. This morning, if joy has been something that's been fleeting in life, you know that you're a Christian, but you've been living in those circumstances, been trying to take control, I challenge you this morning is repent of that. That's sin. When we try to take control of our life, that's a lack of faith, which is sin. So repent of that. Ask God to change your heart, to increase your faith choose this morning to focus on the circumstances of life. Focus on the glory of God. Father God, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for the fact that that you've given us this new life, that your spirit dwells within us and enables us to live this radical, unbelievable life. That we can live above the circumstances. The circumstances don't have to dictate our joy because your spirit dwells within us. God, I pray that we would rest in that. That we wouldn't focus ourselves on the good and the bad in life, but that we would focus ourselves on your glory. That our lives would be lived out in complete surrender to you. That when the bad stuff happens, we recognize that you're in control and it's an opportunity to glorify you. When the good stuff happens, we recognize that you're in control and it's an opportunity to bring glory to you. God, change our perspectives. Help us to live in this way that we see Paul live. In your name we pray. Thank you so much for listening. And we always welcome you to join us at Fellowship Church in Nederland, Texas, where we gather, grow, give, and go.